Did you know that within a decade, women will hold $30 trillion in investable assets? Yet somehow, only 19% of women reported feeling confident in selecting investments that align with their long-term goals. Our friends at InvestHer are out to change that. InvestHer Con is the number one premier conference for women in real estate, and it's happening June 2nd through the 4th in Austin, Texas. InvestHerCon is not just another real estate conference. It's a transformational experience focused on real estate investing, business strategies, and self-care tactics, all designed to help women take control of their financial futures. Gain the knowledge and skills you need to grow your portfolio and build a sustainable business, all while connecting with over 500 women who are playing at the same level. To learn more and to get your tickets, visit InvestHerCon.com today and use the code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. That's InvestHer, H-E-R, Con.com, promo code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. Distressed debt is a space where not only do you need to have a lot of capital lined up, either just sitting in a discretionary vehicle or have capital partners ready to go. It's something where this takes a more sophisticated buyer so I wouldn't recommend this for people who don't have any experience in real estate. And you have to really understand the market. If you're a passive investor wanting to learn more about questions to ask sponsors in order to qualify the opportunities, in order to qualify the sponsor, in order to qualify the market that the property is in, then go to besteverpassiveinvestor.com. My team and I created this site just for you so that there is a free resource available to you to learn about the questions to ask, the things to think through prior to investing in deals. So go to besteverpassiveinvestor.com. It's a free resource for you that was made just for you. Best ever listeners, today's guest is being interviewed by Theo Hicks. You know Theo, he's with us every Friday on Follow Along Friday. You're going to get a lot of value from this conversation. So with that being said, let's get going. Hi, Best Ever listeners, and welcome to the Best Real Estate Investing Advice Ever show. I'm your host for the day, Theo Hicks, as Joe is traveling to Texas to look at a few apartment deals. Today, I'm speaking with Joshua Jowley. Joshua, how are you doing today? I'm good, Theo. Thanks for having me on the show again. Great. So a little bit more about Joshua's background before we get started. He's an associate at Winmore Management, where he focuses on value-add multifamily investments and distressed debt. He was actually a previous guest, so make sure you check out his first episode, which was almost three years ago to this day of this recording, probably over three years once this goes live. That's episode 541, how a young commercial investor raised over $1 million to purchase a 30-unit deal. He is based in New York City, and you can say hi to him at winmanage, W-Y-N-Manage.com. So Joshua, before we get into... Skill Set Sunday, we're going to talk about a specific skill that Joshua has, and it's going to be around the topic of investing in distressed debt. But before we get into that, can you tell us a little bit more about what you've been focused on since your last interview? Sure. So in the first interview, I discussed with Joe a prospective acquisition in Westchester County, which is around a half hour from Manhattan. And I'm still in touch with the owner, but he's an older gentleman. You'll hear this on the show. He's an older gentleman. He just still hasn't been able to pull the trigger, has a serious emotional attachment to his property. But I made some additional investments with some of the capital I'd raised, some investments in some debt, some other deals here and there. And really what kind of brought me to the point where 
I have a certain view on the economy was that after I kind of realized that the owner, I was going to have to stay on him, but I couldn't necessarily close on that transaction. I started looking for other ones and deal after deal, I would get absolutely bullied. Just someone would come in and pay a price that I thought was obscene when I was already stretching. And I knew what these properties cost to operate. So it wasn't as if this guy had some economies of scale where he could take a repair allowance of a thousand dollars a unit per year and take it to $200 a unit. So I started to realize that the pricing had become very disconnected from reality. Now, one of the mistakes I had made was that I didn't realize something being inevitable doesn't mean that it's imminent. So I spent a lot of time trying to get in contact with various banks, with hedge funds, private equity funds, a lot of entities that specialize in debt investments or making loans. And I found myself consistently coming up short in finding opportunities to buy distressed debt because, as you know, Theo, in the recent years, real estate has done so well that I think that a lot of guys whose properties would normally have gotten in bad situations have been able to refinance or resell and live to fight another day in that way. So over the last year, I have been speaking with a close friend of mine about various deals that he had been working on. He actually made some very significant profits for himself by partnering with a family office after the financial crisis and actually acquiring distressed debt various properties in the Southeast. So we were discussing what I kind of see in the economy, what he sees, and we decided to sort of partner up on this distressed credit business. In addition to us looking at just regular value add multifamily, while I think that most deals are overpriced, we are looking at certain deals. We are negotiating a contract on a couple of properties in the Midwest right now that I think have clear value add propositions and a pretty good resiliency regardless of market conditions. So that's kind of where I'm at right now. But really my main love and focus for the coming, let's say, three to five years is going to be the distressed debt space. Okay, so let's talk about just a little crash court in how to invest in distressed debt. So I want to ask you, how many deals have you done so far? And, and I guess what's even considered a deal for a distressed debt? Is it just one note, a package of notes? How does that work? In the spirit of candor, we haven't purchased anything since I came on board with this new entity. I think the national rate right now, if you check the FDIC or the Federal Reserve websites, you've seen sub 1.5% default rates on commercial real estate across the country. That's extremely low levels. So you're not really going to see the deal flow that you will. Distressed debt is a very cyclical business. So ultimately, you have its feast or famine kind of situation. So that's the reason that we are still focused on acquiring other deals. But distressed debt is something where periodically there will be an onslaught of it. And to answer your other question, the way that you would acquire it is it could either be a single note or it could be a portfolio. Usually a lot of banks, if you're going to a large bank, let's say Bank of America, Wells Fargo, something like that, they're going to be selling portfolios of notes. A small local and regional bank, they can sell one-off notes. So you can get a data tape acquire a single note on a single property and take it from there. So what's the process for finding these? Do you just call up someone at these banks and ask them for a list of their distressed debt? How does finding these distressed debt work? There are certain FDIC reports in the spirit of keeping everything as concise as I can, because we have a limited time frame here. If you don't mind me saying, I have a guide I put together for your listeners on my website. 
and talks about our current situation in the economy and where I think things are going and gives them a really thorough overview on how to purchase distressed debt. And that's at crecrash.com. That's C-R-E, commercial real estate, crash.com. And the way that I would look at it, so first of all, there are FDIC reports that'll say which bank has non-performing loans, be it on owner-occupied commercial real estate, which might include a gas station. It's non-owner-occupied commercial real estate, which might be a shopping center. It might be four or five or plus unit commercial multifamilies that has defaulted, or even a single family home, construction loans, business, those are thought of as commercial and industrial loans. There are any number of items you can read on these FDIC reports. Once you find which banks in your area have the distressed debt to acquire, you would then begin reaching out to them and try to meet with and speak to either their special assets officer or workout officer, their credit officer, their chief credit officer, any number of people you can reach out to who can get you in kind of their pipeline. And you'll obviously have to sign a non-disclosure. And oftentimes they'll send you a, a something called data tape, which is really an Excel file that lists the debt, when the loan was originated, who the borrower is, what the property is, what the trailing 12 NOI was, when the loan matured, what the interest rate was, what the default rate is, all those items are in various cells on the sheet. And so you can use that to gauge your own underwriting on the transaction. Well, that was going to be my next question. So how do you analyze these deals? You've got the data tape, you've got the profit and loss statement and information on the loan and the deal itself. What types of things you look at? Maybe even what's like the return factor you use to go or no go on these deals? That's the million dollar question, isn't it? So much of that is going to be a personal choice. So what a fund like Oak Tree, Oak Tree Capital is one of the biggest distressed debt buyers on the planet. What their return thresholds are going to be different than, let's say, me and you or myself created relationships with a lot of family offices. What that might be when we can spend, let's call it $10 million on a note. It's different than when you have to buy $100 million of notes, and it's different when you only have $1 million to buy a note. So that is somewhat of a personal kind of threshold where you're going to decide that. The way that I look at it sometimes is you need to take into account whether the loan is non-recourse or recourse. So if it's recourse, oftentimes the borrower is just happy to get out of that personal guarantee. So he might sign over the property with no problem in order to get out of the personal guarantee. So you don't have to actually underwrite too much in legal fees and time frame to foreclose on it. If it's non-recourse, you have to figure that the borrower might fight you for a while. So you have to underwrite legal fees for six, 12, 18 months. Most of the time, you're not going to take that long to get to the collateral, but obviously you'd rather be safe than sorry. On top of that, you have to look at whether you're in a judicial or non-judicial foreclosure state. So if you're in a judicial foreclosure state, like Florida, you need to go through the court system in order to foreclose. In places like Alabama, you can do non-judicial where you can get to the collateral in 30 days. So that's a consideration to have, obviously. And then the other way that you can value it, I think, is that if the unpaid principal balance, let's say $5 million, including default interest, all the advances the bank made, et cetera, et cetera, they might just say, we're bidding 65% of unpaid principal just all day. That's what they'll do. So they'll just write bids at 65% of that 5 million, which I think is 3.2 or something like that. And then 
there are other banks or other investors who will look at the property saying, what would I pay fee simple for this? And then maybe I take a 10, 20, 30% discount because it's not a fee simple deal where I can just acquire it with a normal loan, a normal closing, et cetera. I need to buy a note from a bank. I need to then complete the foreclosure process or work out a deal with the borrower. And that's time consuming. And there has to be some discount to take that into account. So there are a lot of different kind of methods that you need to incorporate. Hence why distressed debt is such a difficult thing for the average guy to participate in. Yet to me, it's the most interesting and most compelling investment opportunities arise in distressed debt. Far more than just acquiring a regular piece, a regular apartment building, let's say, or shopping center or office property. I find this to be a far more interesting and lucrative way to get, get deals done. Yeah, I agree. It sounds very fascinating. How do you make money in this investment strategy? So there are a few different ways. There are some buyers who execute a strategy that people use disparagingly, but it's called loan to own. So I'm buying the loan in order to foreclose on someone and get to the collateral. Now, that's one strategy where you buy a loan, let's say at a discount, you get to the collateral, provided the property is not too impaired, and doesn't have too much distress on it, maybe the guy just had maturity default. So his NOI might be fine, but if cap rates have risen 200 basis points, he's not going to be able to qualify on a loan-to-value basis to get a rate and term refinancing. So he's in default. So that's one situation. Sometimes properties are a mess, but let's say you bought a note, you foreclose and the property's in okay shape. You can refinance then and just own the property as if you had purchased it fee simple from the beginning. The other way you can make money is by recasting the note. So what that would mean is that if you bought a note with an unpaid principal balance of $6 million, you might say to the borrower, hey, if you pay me, let's call it $250,000 up front, I'll, let's say, forgive a million and a half of this loan and you'll pay me the $4.5 million I'm still owed. You'll pay me an 8% interest rate. It might take his debt service down, but... It gives you a nice income stream that's secured by a lien on the property. It allows the borrower to stay in his property and it's kind of a win-win situation. It's one way that people do deals in corporate finance, which is called restructurings. And the final way is just an actual foreclosure. So you can just buy the note, complete the foreclosure process, and oftentimes you'll get outbid at closing. But let's say you bought the loan for 75 cents on the dollar, like you're owed 10 million, you bought it for 7.5, you go to the foreclosure auction and sells at $12 million. Well, anything above what you're owed goes to the defaulted mortgagee. But what it does is you're going to get paid off at $10.5 million, let's say, or 10 million bucks. So that's a way that you made a nice return, a really nice return, let's say in six or 12 months, while taking very little risk because you have the first lien on the asset. Now, the final way is oftentimes you can buy a note. If you buy a portfolio of notes, there's a lot of hedge funds that do this in single family space. They'll buy a portfolio of notes at X, let's say 50 cents on the dollar, and they'll resell them one by one or in smaller portfolios at 60 cents on the dollar to guys who then sell them to single investors for let's say 75 cents on the dollar. So it's kind of a daisy chain, but that's one way you could do it if you had enough financial firepower, I guess you could say, in order to acquire a portfolio, you could buy a portfolio of notes at wholesale and sell them at retail. Out of those four, what's the most common? 
I'd say the most common is loan to own. Most of the time when guys are buying non-performing loans on commercial real estate, they're not looking to recast the note. Oftentimes borrowers don't even want you to do that. Even though I just wanted to explain that in order to be as thorough as I can, it's not a strategy that most borrowers are that interested in because the IRS qualifies. And by the way, this is not tax advice. Please consult your attorneys. Just want to say that. But the average guy doesn't want to necessarily have his note recast because if I forgive $2 million, the IRS sees that as $2 million of income. So he has a significant tax liability on that. So I'd say most people are trying to get to the collateral. They're acquiring a note, they're completing the foreclosure process, they're either reselling the property once they get title or at the foreclosure auction, or they're buying it, refinancing it, and going from there. Well, I guess that data tape, the address of the property is on there, so you can go actually visit in person, right? Yes, absolutely. Usually you're under pretty crazy non-disclosures. I've signed some wild ones in the last, let's call it six months. But you're going to get a lot of information. That's the reason that it's so important is because, let's say on residential data tapes, you'll have the borrower's name, address, you'll have their FICO score, you have a lot of information that's extremely personal. So obviously, people don't want that to be released. But you'll have the information to go visit it. And obviously, it's something where I can't stress this enough. Distressed debt is a space where not only do you need to have a lot of capital lined up, either just sitting in a discretionary vehicle or have capital partners ready to go. It's something where this takes a more sophisticated buyer. So I wouldn't recommend this for people who don't have any experience in real estate. And you have to really understand the market because if you don't know exactly what that property is worth, it's very hard to kind of create the proper bid on a note. And you don't want to be sitting there realizing you overbid to buy this non-performing note. And then it's going to take you X amount of money to foreclose and you didn't underwrite that. And the property's only going to be worth this and you didn't underwrite that. And you didn't underwrite what you thought it was a class B property and it's actually a class C minus. You don't want to do that. You need to be extremely thorough with your due diligence when you're buying a note. Every scrap of paper that anyone's written one note on has to be accounted for and thoroughly reviewed by your attorneys because if there's anything missing, you might be out of luck and you can't foreclose. And then what do you have? You have nothing. You have a loan that is just, I don't even know what to call it. The guy can't refinance it because you have a lien, but you can't do that much with it. It's going to take you a while to kind of sort that out. You don't want to be in that position. So I cannot stress enough, this is not the strategy for a guy who's never purchased a two-family. And it's not the strategy for someone who likes to kind of do back-of-the-envelope analysis. This is granular, sophisticated modeling and analysis is required. But Again, just like everything else, because it's difficult, it turns out to be extremely profitable. I know you haven't said you've done a deal yet, but have you looked at any deals? And if so, or just any other deal that you're aware of, can you kind of walk us through an example, like where it was found, the unpaid principal amount, how much you bought it for, what kind of strategy was used, loan to own, recast the notes, things like that? Sure. Like you mentioned, though, the fact that we haven't purchased something, we've been bidding on the few that we've seen very aggressively. It just so happened that some of the stuff that we've seen as of late has been extremely high-end class A stuff. So it kind of attracts an institutional crowd. They have a lower return threshold. They can close in short time frames. So that's kind of been our problem right now because there's so little deal flow. Some of these deals have been, let's say, a little bit small for an institution, but when they have nothing to buy, they're going to buy whatever's available. Whereas I'm trying to be a little bit prudent when we're bidding. So 
we've missed out on a few, but I went through and I have several case studies in the book that I'm putting on that website that I released, crecrash.com. There was a note actually on a deal that I was involved in. So I got this listing as a commercial broker, let's call it three years ago. And it was on a deal on 34 units in Westchester County. And this is a market where this is a rent stabilized deal. So if people don't understand that, that the lower New York state has kind of rent control guidelines of how much you can raise rents, what you have to do, et cetera, et cetera. Extremely onerous process to get tenants out. A difficult deal. And I got in this listing and I was actually offered to buy it myself. And because for something that will haunt me for the rest of my life, I decided that buying a deal in an area where these guys wanted $75,000 a unit, I believe it was, in a market where most deals were trading at 150000 a unit. I thought that it was just too much work for me to do. I didn't decide that buying something for 50 cents that's worth a dollar is a good idea. But these guys bought this loan on this property for $700,000. They were paid off in 18 months, I want to say, for $1.65 million. Oof. The other thing about that, though, it took them a long time. The guy was an extremely recalcitrant borrower. It was his only deal. When I was showing this deal to various buyers that I know intimately, they're close friends of mine, and I would be having trouble getting to show an apartment. I'd have to talk to tenants to get us to show us their units. The receiver couldn't get access to the building at times because the super was told by the owner that he shouldn't work with the receiver. It was a real mess. But that was a deal where they had a secured interest of $2 million on that note at the end of the day that they made a deal and they cut a deal and they sold the property to another guy for $1.65 million. But that's a deal where the buyers of that note, if they had purchased that property just themselves, like completed the foreclosure, took title, did a few renovations, the current owner has refinanced it. He refinanced it six months after he acquired it at $2.5 million was the new mortgage. And now he just refinanced, I believe it's three and a half million on it. So again, it's something where you can often get discounts that you'd never hear about. Mm -hmm. I mean, this deal, it needed a lot of work, but it's nothing that now I wouldn't take on sleep fine at night. It's nothing like, oh, we have asbestos everywhere and we have lead paint and we have this and we have this and we have this. No, it's nothing. It's like you need to fix parapets and a roof and renovate some units. Not too difficult to do, all things considered. And it was a hugely profitable transaction. But it was from a borrower relationship where it was with a bank that they had purchased a ton of distressed debt from after the financial crisis. So they subsequently were approached when they were trying to dispose of this note. They got an off-market deal. Again, bought it for $700,000 and made, I don't know, whatever that is, 140% on -hmm. their money in, let's call it 18 months. And it would have been even more. One of the things that people fail to do at times is just negotiate with the borrower. Instead of trying to go through the whole foreclosure process, it's often more profitable to either, if it's a recourse loan, tell him he's going to get out of the guarantee, or if it's a non-recourse loan, offer to pay the borrower some money to walk away. Kind of Mm -hmm. a cash for keys transaction. Like, I don't know if you remember this right after the crisis, a lot of banks would do that with borrowers. They would say to people, if we give you $25,000 to move, can you just sign over title to your property and go on your way? And a lot of people did it. And borrowers are a lot more willing to work with you when you're dangling some money in front of them. 
Well, thank you for sharing that example. And I'm sure you'll find a deal that exceeds those returns here in the, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm on your, I'm on your side. <laughs> so uh, thank you for joining us today talking about how to invest in distressed debt. That was the skill we talked about today. And you went through it like a checklist. We talked about how to find these deals. So there's a lot of FDIC reports that say which banks have these non-performing loans. You get your hands on that report and reach out to those banks to speak to the special asset, the workout or the credit officer in order to get their pipeline. There's also the data tape, which gives you information on the asset and the loan. You talked about how to analyze the deals. You also have the four main ways to make money, as well as the fact that the loan to own strategy is likely the most common. And then you also mentioned that you are writing a book on crecrash.com where you discuss this investment strategy in more detail. So Joshua, thanks for coming on the show today. Really appreciate it. Good information. Have a best ever day and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks a lot, Theo. And I just want to say one thing for all of your listeners. This book that's on that website, this is available for download right now. It's a PDF, very easy to read, and it gives you a very good overview. Something you spend 90 minutes and you'll be an expert, be able to buy your own $100 million deals for the next 20 years. So I want to thank you very much again for giving me this opportunity to speak with you. And I hope to speak to you soon about the billion dollars of distressed debt I've acquired in the next Oh, years. yeah. I like it. <laughs> I'm looking forward to that conversation. Take Absolutely. care. Absolutely. Thanks a lot, Theo. Take Bye-bye. care. If you're a passive investor and want to learn more about Ashcroft Capital, the company I co-founded with my business partner, Frank, and in particular want to learn more about our strategy and how we think about the opportunities that we purchase, go to ashcroftcapital.com and click the strategy button above and you'll be able to read through our thought process we use when we're purchasing multifamily properties. When it's Friday at 4.30 p.m., it's time for Entrepreneur Drinks Podcast, which is co-produced by Joint Ops Properties and Discount Property Investors. Join their end-of-the-work-week session as they tackle problems facing entrepreneurs. Listen and subscribe at entrepreneurdrinks.com. That's entrepreneurdrinks.com.